0: Hi, my name is Jeff Redding. I am a preaching elder here at Walton Community Church in Monroe, Georgia. Before we begin the sermon, our church would like to invite you to join us as we gather every Sunday morning for worship at 10 a.m. You can learn more about our church on our website at waltoncommunitychurch.org. Thanks for listening. Thank you, George. Howdy, WCC. It's good to see everybody this morning. Happy 4th. I've got my uh, red, white, and blue shirt on this morning. I can't get away with red pants like Topher, but I uh, wish I could. That's, a, that's impressive. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, we are continuing a series, I think I started this last summer actually when we were meeting outside, a series on the uh, parables of Jesus from the gospel of Luke. So we're going to be in Luke 18 today, and today we're going to be looking at the the parable of the persistent widow, or they could call it the parable of the unjust judge. So Luke 18, and we will start in verse 1. Luke 18, verse 1. And I'm actually going to read the first verse first, and then we'll continue on. So Luke 18, 1, Jesus is speaking, and Luke makes this comment. He says in verse 1, Luke 18, verse 1, he says, and he told them a parable, and Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So Luke tells us that the point of this parable is for us to always pray, to pray continuously, to cry out to the Lord continuously and to draw near to him, and then he says, and to not lose heart, to not lose heart. And this is a reminder for us to always pray. And this actually goes perfectly with Pastor Daniel's sermons on the Lord's Prayer. For us to always pray. initially And to not lose heart. And I'm going to talk more about that at the end. But notice initially Jesus is saying to his disciples that there can be a real problem for disciples to get real close to losing heart. To losing hope. Okay, and As I said, we'll talk more about that. But that's the context for the parable. Alright, verse 2. Let's read verses 2 through 8. And he said, Jesus said, and he tells them this parable, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him, kept coming to this judge and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, for a while the judge refused. But afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And that's the parable right there. That's it. And the Lord said, hear, Lord Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth. Okay? So it's a very short parable, and it seems odd when you first read it. I ask my kids, what does that mean? And they're like, I don't really know. So, so we need to spend time thinking about what Jesus is saying in this parable. So, so verse 2, it says, he said, in a certain city, and that's typically the way parables are, it's just an unknown place, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. So in this day, judges were more powerful than what we think of judges today. Today, we have judges that decide particular cases in limited jurisdiction. But in those days, judges were very powerful. They're more like rulers or leaders. So we have a book of the Bible called the Book of Judges. And these are the leaders, the rulers of, of the area. So the, this is a very powerful person that Jesus is talking about. And he says, this guy, this judge, says he neither, he neither feared God nor respected man. So what Jesus is saying in a very short way is that this is a very wicked dude. He's a bad dude. It says he neither fears God nor respects man. This is important in this phrase because the two greatest commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So if you want to summarize the Ten Commandments, it's love God and love people. And this guy doesn't do either. He doesn't respect man he doesn't respect people and he doesn't fear god so he's a wicked wicked dude um so so he he doesn't bottom line this guy doesn't give a rip about god and he doesn't give a rip about people in verse three it says now we're introduced to the second person in the parable it says and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying give me justice against my adversary give me justice against my enemy this is a widow And Jesus specifically uses the word widow because in this day, widows were just about the most helpless people in society. Widows and orphans were about the most helpless people in society. Uh, In this day, if there was a legal matter, you would always have men involved, almost always, because women were not respected, they had almost no rights. So when Jesus says in this parable that we have this widow, What we're seeing is that she does not have a husband to care for her, because if she did, he would be involved in the process. She doesn't have grown sons to advocate for her. She doesn't even have, you know, uncles or cousins or anybody to to advocate on her behalf. She's by herself, essentially. Jesus is saying this woman is basically alone, and she's trying to advocate for herself. She's completely helpless, especially in this society. So Jesus initially has given us two contrasts with these two people. One is this very powerful judge, this ruler who's wicked. And the other is this helpless widow with nobody caring for her. But the one thing she does have going for her is she is persistent. She does not give up. It says she kept coming to him. And still in verse 3, it says she kept coming to this judge and she kept saying, give me justice. Give me justice against my adversary. So justice, the, the, the easiest way that I think of justice, justice is making things right. Justice is setting things right, Set, making things the way that they should be. So she is saying, give me justice against my adversary, my enemy. Some, someone is ripping her off. Someone is taking advantage of her. Somebody is cheating her. So, so she is being wronged. We don't know the exact situation. And this is actually the beauty of Jesus' parables. He gives us this general statement, and the beauty of that is we can put ourselves in that situation. So she's being wronged in some way, and she's asking for the judge to do his job, to to execute justice, to set things right. And in verses 4 and 5, it says, For a while he refused. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. So she keeps on confronting him over and over again, and eventually the judge says, I'm going to give her justice, I'm going to set things right, she's being wronged, and I'm going to make things right, but he doesn't do that because he has an obligation again to God or to other people, or he wants to do the right thing, none of that. He's doing this out of his own self-interest, for his own comfort, because this lady just keeps on bothering him. So at the office, there she is, okay? In the marketplace, he's walking down the street, here she comes again. You know, at his home, she's just everywhere bothering this guy, bothering this judge, and she keeps persistently saying, you know, give me justice, I'm being cheated, Do, do your job, make things right. And he says, basically, this lady is driving me crazy. She is driving me crazy. She's getting on my nerves. As my wife would say, she's getting on my last nerve. My wife That's the phrase my wife. She says, this is my last nerve, and you're on my last nerve, right? So my sweet wife says that. Yeah, she uses that phrase. Um, but but th- this, so this judge doesn't care about this lady. He's wicked. She's powerless. But nevertheless, he gives her justice because she's just beating him down. And then verse 6, that's the entire parable. And then verse 6, Jesus says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Says, so we're supposed to pay attention. As I said, because when you first read this parable, you may say, I don't understand the point of this parable at all. But we're supposed to listen to the unrighteous judge's words and learn from them. And then verses seven and eight, Jesus says this And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Let me explain my understanding of what Jesus is saying here. I can tell you this. I know very little Greek. I know very little Greek. But the people who do know Greek say that this sentence is really difficult to translate. And there are actually a lot of different interpretations about what Jesus is saying here. I think he's saying this. Here's the conclusion that I've come to. I think what Jesus is saying is this. Will not God give justice to his elect? Won't give God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? And then I think he actually says, though he delays long over them. I don't think it's a second question. I think he's saying, though God delays long over them. And I think that's important because just like in the story, the judge delayed long in giving justice to the widow. So I think Jesus is saying, God will give justice to his elect, to his chosen, his beloved even though he delays long over them. And then the next phrase in verse 8, it says, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, again, this is one of these weird Greek phrases that's difficult to understand, but I think what it means is this. I don't think it means that when we pray or, or, or when we ask God for something, he is going to immediately answer. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying in the Greek or in the context of the Scriptures. I think what Jesus is saying is this, that when God acts, he acts quickly. He acts abruptly. And and part of the reason I think that in the whole context of Luke, in the chapter before this, in Luke 17, Jesus gives two examples about in the days of Noah and in the days of Lot. For example, in the days of Noah, everything was happening the same over and over again. And it seemed like God was delaying this, this coming judgment. But when he decided to act, it happened quickly. It happened abruptly. So I think that's in the context of that, that's what Jesus is saying. That, that if we cry, I think he's saying this. If we cry out to God, it doesn't mean that God is going to solve our problems immediately after we say after we after we pray every single time. I don't think that's what God is saying. I think uh, what Jesus is saying. I think what Jesus is saying is that there are going to be times when we cry out to God and he delays. But when he does act, it comes abruptly. It comes quickly. And, and I think also the context of the scripture is this. Many times we're told to wait in scripture. We're told to wait on the Lord. Uh, Psalm 40, I waited patiently for the Lord. Why would we be told to wait over and over again if, God, if Jesus is saying, as soon as you pray, God's going to act quickly. He's going to answer your prayer quickly. So because we're told to wait over and over in in Scripture, I think Jesus is saying that God is going to make everything right. He's going to set everything right. He's going to bring justice. Eventually. Eventually. But sometimes we're going to have to wait. And then verse 8, he says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Will he find faith in the land? Again, this is one of these difficult phrases, but I think what is happening here is is this is not necessarily a, a negative connotation with this. I don't think Jesus is saying, "When I return, is there going to be anybody who's believing?" I think instead it's a challenge. I think he's saying, "When Jesus comes, is he going to find us faithful?" It's a challenge. Are you going to be faithful? When Jesus calls you home, are you going to be faithful? Am I going to be faithful? Is this church going to be faithful? And when Jesus ultimately returns, are his people going to be faithful? Are we going to be found faithful? Okay, so that's the parable. That's the parable. And I've got some thoughts and applications. First of all, just understand that this is what I call a, a how much more parable. How much more parable. Jesus is saying, if this unjust judge gives justice, he sets things right with this helpless widow... How much more is your God, who loves you, going to set things right? How much more is he going to take care of you? So this is a how much more parable. And some thoughts about the parable. I've really got three thoughts I'm going to give you, and I'll go over them. But number one is this. I'll just tell you all three of them now. Number one is God's people can get close to losing heart, okay? God's people can get close to losing heart. Number two is this. We may feel like the helpless widow, but we're not. And number three is we may feel like God is an unjust judge, but he's not. I think that's the point of the parable. So the first one is God's people can get close to losing heart. Remember back in the very first verse, he says, he tells his disciples the the parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He's telling this because Jesus' followers, God's people, can get really close to losing heart or we can lose heart. This is a reality. Look, injustice is a reality in this world. Things in this world are not the way they're supposed to be. They're not the way they're supposed to be. And with this parable, Jesus is implicitly saying that sometimes we as God's people can be so down that we can be close to losing heart. And there are going to be times when we just don't feel like praying. We feel like we can't pray. Again, remember verse 1. He's told him this parable. So, because he sees that we could get close to losing heart. And what I love about this, do you see Jesus' grace and love even in telling us this? In telling us this parable. He's saying that there are going to be times when, like this widow, you're going to feel helpless. You're going to feel like your prayers are not being heard. You're going to be real close to losing heart. And there are going to be times when you feel like you can't even pray. And what I love about this, sometimes in God's word, he, he, when we're down and doubting, he comes at us really hard with strong words, like the book of Job. At the end of the book of Job, God says to Job, and he basically says, I'm God and you're not, and I get to do what I want to do, and you're not to question me. Sometimes we need rough words to startle us out of our being down. But God also comes to us sometimes in gentleness and, 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 and quietness, and just a, a tenderness, and Jesus is doing that, I think, here. That we can be real close to losing heart and not even feel like pray And if you live long enough, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you can experience tremendous gut-wrenching heartbreak. That's just the way it is. Even as a devout follower of Jesus, we know that, that things are not the way they should be. And I can tell you this as a pastor especially in a small church like this. I know about difficulties. You might not know about them, but I know about difficulties in almost every single family in our church. Basically, every single family, I know about incredible difficulties that they have faced or they are facing right now. It may be broken relationships. It may be severe health problems. It may be unemployment or job struggles or financial struggles. It may be mental and emotional struggles. You are a loved one battling depression or anxiety or the results of past trauma or abuse or adult children who have now abandoned the faith and left the church. Heartbreaking things happen, even to people who love the Lord. And and what Jesus is telling us in this parable, like this helpless widow, she's crying out, she's saying, make things right because things aren't right. So Jesus is telling us this parable to, to recognize, and I think it's very gracious of the Lord to do this, is that God's people can get real close to losing hope and losing heart. And Jesus is saying, again, that, that may happen. So that's number one. Okay? Number one is we can get, God's people can get real close to losing heart. Number two is this. We may feel like the helpless widow, but we're not. Think about the, the widow here. What I This parable, the more I've thought about it, this is an amazing parable. What Jesus is doing, remember, the, the, is showing us this. What Jesus is doing is showing us this. When we're in despair, when we're close to losing hope, we can feel like the widow. We can feel, and I'll give it away, the next one is, we can feel like the widow, and we can feel like God is an unjust judge. When we're in despair, that's the way we feel. We feel helpless and alone, and we feel like God is an unjust judge who doesn't care about us. So we feel like the widow when we're in despair. We feel like we're all alone, that nobody cares for us, that nobody will advocate for us, that nobody's listening to us. This is how we perceive ourselves when we're suffering. We feel like this widow. But what Jesus is teaching in this parable, and it's very implicit, it's very subtle, but it's powerful. Jesus is saying, you're not like the widow. You're not alone. Jesus, one of Jesus' names is Emmanuel, which means God with us. He is with his people all the time. Whether you feel like he's with you or not, it doesn't matter. He is with you. He will meet, Jesus will meet us in our suffering. So you're not like the widow because you're not alone. Also, this widow is helpless. She has no resources. But Jesus is saying, you're not like this widow, you're not helpless. You're not powerless. You have the all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign God of the universe on your side. You're not helpless. You may feel like this widow, but you're not. So that's number two. We may feel like the helpless widow, but we're not. Number three is we may feel like God is an unjust judge, but he's not. Again, how Jesus tells this parable is amazing because, as I said, when we're in despair, we may think of God as an unjust judge. When we get close to losing hope, when we get close to losing heart, we can have a tendency to think of God as an unjust judge, as a powerful judge, very powerful, but he doesn't care about me. We can think like this. God doesn't give a rip about me. I'm just bothering him when I pray. That's the way we can think. And I confess to you, to my shame, I have said in times, I've said this to God, and it's wrong, but I've said this to God. God, why do you hate me? Why do you hate me? Like, If you've ever read the book of Job, again, there are times when Job basically says that. God, why do you hate me? That's wrong. And what Jesus is saying, and the point of the parable is, is this. No, your God is not like this unjust judge. Look look at verse 7 again. Look at verse 7. Jesus says, will not God give justice to his elect won't God give justice won't God set things right with his elect we are his elect we're God's elect that's his word if you don't like election take it up with Jesus that's his word okay he says elect we're his beloved we're his chosen we are God's children but when as I said when we're in despair we don't think of ourselves as God's chosen as his beloved but we are we are and we are to preach these truths to ourselves. This is very important about being a believer. When we're in those dark valleys, I have to preach to myself. I have to say, I am God's chosen. I'm God's beloved. I'm His child. I have to allow those truths to sink deep into my heart. That I'm His chosen. I'm His beloved. So Jesus is warning us during, in this parable, during these dark valleys, don't think of God as an unjust judge. There may be times when you think God doesn't hear my prayers, but you're wrong. He does. He does. He wants you to pray. In fact, he is a father that is waiting for his children to come to you in prayer. In fact, he's much more willing to hear your prayers than you are to pray. That's the way our God is. That's the way our father is. And and, and and I'll say this too. This is really important, I think. Although God, and Jesus says that here, God will eventually make all things right. He will set everything right. But when remember, when we pray that in this life, sometimes, sometimes God will say no. Sometimes God will say no, and we must trust him in that. Eventually, he's going to make everything right. But to our particular prayers, in this place, in this time, God may say no. No. I'd ask you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Actually, it was, our, it was our corporate reading today that George just read. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read a part of it again, what, what we read earlier. Because I think it's so important when we think about prayer and we think about feeling like this helpless widow who's suffering. 2 Corinthians 12. Again, this was our corporate reading that George just led us in. Look at verse 7, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. So Paul's talking and he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, these revelations he had received from God, he says, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So we don't know what this is, but some... Some way, this thorn in his flesh is, is causing Paul to suffer. He's really suffering. He's distraught. Verse 8. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So Paul does what, what does God say in the, in the book of James? You have not because you ask not. So, so Paul asks. Okay? So he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But look at verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is... Is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. That's a fancy way of saying no. (laughs) I pleaded that God would take this away from me, and He said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. And then he goes on to explain, you know, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But again, he's pleading with the Lord and he says no. So sometimes this, this parable is about prayer. We ought always to pray, but sometimes God says, no, we must trust him in that. We must submit to his will. We always pray, thy will be done as, as uh, Pastor Daniel has been leading us in, in thinking about the Lord's Prayer. Also this, when we pray, God sometimes may not answer in our time. God some, that, that's what I think a point of the parable is too. That There is a delay sometimes. He may not answer in your time. He may not answer in my time, but God is always on time. He's always on time. It may not be my time, but God is always on time. And oftentimes, we just have to wait. So Jesus is saying in this parable that he's, he's going to make things right. He's going to set everything right. It may not be in this life, though. And I can tell you this, as a believer, the more I've grown, the more I realize that God's people should be fixing our minds more and more on heavenly realities, on heaven, on the resurrection life to come, instead of trying to be satisfied and make everything in our life perfect or expecting that everything in our life is going to satisfy And what I found, too, is the more you fix your eyes actually on heaven and the heavenly realities, the more actually effective you are in this life. It's it's ironic. So sometimes God says no. Sometimes he says wait. But the encouragement that Jesus is giving us in this parable is that he's going to make all things right. It may not be in our time, but we need to wait and be patient and keep crying out to him, to keep drawing near to him. Don't leave him. And what you find, too, is that, that you, as you continuously draw near to the Lord in prayer, even through difficult times, or maybe especially through difficult times, he'll change you. He'll transform you. And often we must experience heartbreak in order to grow in our trust in the Lord, to be transformed. And often the only way that God, I, I don't like it that it's this way, but often the only way that God can really, truly transform us is through suffering. So that really we can learn to rely on God and not ourselves. In fact, while we're in 2 Corinthians, go left to to the very first chapter of 2 Corinthians. Same verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to give you just a couple of verses in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And these two verses have really been huge for me in my own life. Listening to what Paul says here. This is 2 Corinthians 1. Look at verses 8 and 9. Remember, the whole point of the parable is that we don't lose heart. We don't lose heart, and we continuously pray. So we're thinking about why we should not lose heart and what's happening when we pray. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 8 and 9, Paul says this. He says, for we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He says, for we, for he and his friends, he says, were so utterly burdened beyond our strength That we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I'm going to stop there. Paul is saying that he and his friends were utterly burdened beyond their own strength. This is an apostle. And he says right here, essentially, God gave me more than I could handle. This is beyond my strength. God gave me more than I could handle. And he says that he was to the point of utter despair. It's utterly burdened that we despaired of life itself. He says, in fact, we we felt we had received the sentence of death. He felt like he had been given a death sentence. He despaired of life. He says, essentially, he and his friends, we were ready to die. We wanted to die in this moment. We wanted just to die. And this is an apostle, okay? This is an apostle who was suffering and under so much burden. He was close to losing hope. But why did this happen? Why did this happen? Is there a reason? Well, we don't know all the reasons, but Paul does give us a reason about why this happened. Look at continuing in verse 9. He said, But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. On God. This, was, this terrible thing happened. We wanted to die. Why did it happen? So that we would rely... Not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. This was more than Paul could handle. This week, a friend who's here this morning, I won't give her name, but she told me that she, people used to say to her, God will never give you more than you can handle. And she said, that's wrong. God regularly gives me more than I can handle. That's what Paul says right here. It was beyond our strength. That's another way of saying God gave me more than I could handle. So, so this birth, God will do this. God will do this. He, he will give us more than we can handle. Okay? So when you are going through despair, when you feel like this widow, when you feel like you've been given more than you can handle, when that happens, Jesus is simply saying, keep crying out to God. Don't draw away. See, some people will push away and they'll leave. Don't do that, Jesus is saying continuously trust in the lord continuously rely on the god who raises the dead no matter how close you get to losing heart to losing hope jesus is saying don't lose hope press into the lord draw near to him cry out to, to him even with prayers hard even when you feel like you can't do it and oftentimes these things happen so that you would learn to rely not on yourself but on god who raises the dead I'm going to finish with this, and I mentioned it in the email this week, that whenever I think about despair and losing heart, losing hope, this is what the point of the parable is, I think about the musician Stephen Curtis Chapman. Uh, Now, many of you are going through awful stuff, or you have, but I don't want to embarrass you by using personal stories, but Stephen Curtis Chapman is a public figure, and he's talked about his trials publicly, and I have incredible respect for, for Chapman and his family and their faithfulness. And I don't remember all the details, but I've read his book after, after this happened. It was something like this, though. So Stephen Curtis Chapman and his wife, Mary Beth, they have a number of kids, and they adopted a little girl from China named Maria when she was a little baby. And the family just adored her. And in May of 2008, when Maria had just turned five, a beautiful little girl was playing in the front yard of their house. And one of their oldest sons, I think he was 18 or 20 or something, was driving their SUV. They have a long driveway going up to their house. And his name is Will. And as he was driving, he wasn't speeding or anything. But as he was driving, little Maria ran out in front of the SUV. And the SUV hit Maria, and she later died. And Will got out of the the truck, and he ran to her, and he picked her up, and he was trying to comfort her. His shirt was just covered in blood. And uh, they said that you know it's chaos. They call the paramedics. They're they're screaming. You know it's just a complete horrible thing that they were doing. After the paramedics came, Will the the boy was driving the SUV. Uh, he's covered in blood. He takes off running for the family pond, and they didn't know if he was just trying to drown himself or what. But he takes off running. His brother Caleb goes and tackles him, and he rips off his shirt. He said, We got to get that shirt off. He rips the shirt off and they threw the shirt in the pond. And uh, that was years ago. And think about what this family's gone through. They're looking at their daughter who's died, they're looking at their son who accidentally killed their daughter. This doesn't go away in weeks, this doesn't go away in months or years or even decades. Think about what this family has gone through. This family was close to losing heart and losing hope, like Jesus is talking about in this parable. And yet, as a testimony to their faith and a testimony to the goodness of God, Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote this album, and I highly recommend the album. I think it's called Beauty Will Rise. Um, But he can write songs like this. Our God is in control. Our God is in control. And he can write songs like this. Jesus will meet you there. And there's one song called Just Have to Wait. He's talking about how he can't wait to see his little girl, Maria, in heaven. And he writes, I can't wait to see your smile again, the one when your eyes disappear, along with all my troubles. Later in the song, he writes, I can't wait. He says, I can't wait to watch your brother's face when he can finally see with his own eyes that everything's okay. But then he says, but I'll just have to wait. And Jesus will meet you there. He writes, when you think, and many of you have been there, when you think you've hit bottom, then he says, and the bottom gives way. You think you're at the lowest, and it gets worse. He says, and you fall into a darkness no words can explain. Later in the song, he writes this. He says, when you realize the dreams you've had for your child won't come true. But then he says, Jesus will meet you there. Jesus will meet you there. This is who our God is. Do I know why these heartbreaking, horrible things happen to God's people? No, I don't. I'm not going to try to explain it. And I'm not able to slap a slogan on it and say, that's going to fix it. Right? But I do know this. I do know this. Our God is good. God is good. He's not like this unjust judge. We have a sovereign loving father, a dad who cares about us. We have a savior. We have a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us even when we did not love him. He died for us. As Romans 8 says, if a father, if the heavenly father gave his son to die for us while we were his enemies, then I know that he's going to take care of everything in life. I know he's got it under control. And one day Jesus is going to come back and everything is going to be right. Everything's going to be right. Forever. Forever. I'm absolutely confident in that. So we keep holding fast. We keep pressing into the Lord Jesus. So don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep crying out to the Lord. And don't lose heart. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we love you. We we praise you for your love for us. Um, God, I'm so thankful for folks here in this church. I know sometimes it can be just just showing up on Sunday morning for church can be just a huge act of faith. So I know that there are people right here who are suffering, who are close to losing heart, but just them being here right now is such an encouragement and a testimony to their faith and to your goodness. So we thank you for that, Lord. We we just do pray that you would help us to be people who continuously press into you, no matter how difficult things get. And also Lord that, that um, help us to understand that as we go through these trials, oftentimes it softens us and allows us to care about other people who are going through trials. So thank you for that. Thank you for being our God who loves us. Jesus, thank you for being our Savior who went to the cross, and one day you're returning, and you are going to make everything right, and it's going to be awesome. We praise you for that. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us, for being our comforter and caring about us. Help us to remember that you always hear us, you love us, you're going to make everything right. Just help us, Lord, to bring honor and glory to you in that. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.